Thanks for joining us for this message from Awakened Church. We believe in the power of God's Word, and we pray that you're encouraged by this message. Now lean in as we hear from God's Word together. We are uh, in this part of our Bible reading plan where we're looking over Paul's letters. And what we're doing is whatever we're reading on that Sunday, we're teaching about. And so this week, we are in Galatians chapter 3. That's what we read this morning or what you'll read later today. And so that's what we're teaching on. And I've titled this message, Bewitched and Foolish, because these are some words that Paul uses to describe the Galatian church. And I was thinking about that word foolish, and I was thinking about my life, and it didn't take that long for me to realize I've done some very foolish things in my life. Uh, if you are like me, you're probably, it probably didn't take you that long. A foolish thought just probably came into your mind. You're like, yep, that's, I remember that moment. It's kind of embarrassing. Can't believe I did that. You know, we all have moments where we felt a little stupid or a little foolish. Like, I remember this time, I went to college at the University of New Mexico, and um, I'm coming off the shuttle bus And not only did I come off the shuttle bus, but I bounced and rolled off the shuttle bus. And I don't know what it is about us, but we always have to like look back like, I didn't see that thing back there. Like, what was it that tripped me up? I've been walking for a long time. I should have this down by now. But we always have that knee-jerk reaction. And of course, I did that. And what ended up happening? I saw a bunch of people laughing and pointing at me, and I felt very foolish in that moment. Or recently, I'm with my boys and we're um, in the uh, aisle with, at Walmart looking at all the toys, and they're telling me all, why all these things are so cool, and I'm trying to understand why they're so cool. And so they're looking at all the toys, and they're going crazy over it, and I see this lady at the end of the aisle. She's like waving, and she's really excited, and I was like, I don't know who she is, but I'm matching her enthusiasm, and I'm waving back, only to realize she's waving at the person behind me. And so I was like, oh. And you know, you're in an aisle, so you don't know where to go. And so you're just kind of, you own the foolish moment. Like, that's kind of where I was. If you're like me, you're probably sorting through a lot of different times in your life where you felt like you did something stupid or you act foolish, you felt a little embarrassed. And in those situations, it's safe to say that when you felt a little foolish, it's safe to say that you forgot something. Maybe you forgot to listen to what your parents told you, or you forgot your social awareness, or you're doing a job you were trained for, and they're like, don't forget this step, because if you forget this essential step in the process, something bad's going to happen. You're like, no, I got it. It'll be fine. And what did you do? You forgot the essential step in the process, and something bad happened. But to do something foolish in our lives, something had to be forgotten. And when we look back in our lives, And we think about all the foolish things that we've done, whether it's something funny, lighthearted, or maybe it's something serious. When we look back on those foolish moments in our lives, we never want to be marked by or characterized by those foolish moments. I don't want to be known as the guy who bounced out of the shuttle bus or the guy who randomly waves at people. I don't want to be characterized by those things. But that's exactly what Paul's doing here in Galatians. He's trying to remind the Galatian church not to be marked by something foolish in their Christian life. That's why in here he's a little strong, he's a little angry, he might be a little frustrated, or what we might say he's a little salty to this Galatian church. And the reason why he's so angry is because what Paul does is he starts a bunch of churches, he raises up leaders, and then he leaves to go start another church, raises up leaders. And so he left Galatia, and he told them about the true gospel of Jesus, and what does he hear all of a sudden? He hears that there's this group of Jewish believers called the Judaizers. They've come down from Jerusalem, and they started to teach all these ideas that were contrary to the gospel. They started to teach all these regulations and rules. They started to add more to the gospel of Jesus. They were like, hey, if you want to be right before God, you need to obey these Jewish laws. 
And so what's happening here in Galatians is the Jewish belief, or the, the, the Galatian church is thinking that if they want to be right, they have to obey a bunch of Jewish laws. And this made, really Paul, this made Paul really mad, and rightfully so, because he gave them a pure, simple gospel of grace and faith. And so these Judaizers came down from Jerusalem, and they added on to the gospel this idea of self-effort and works, and that you need to do all these things if you want to be right with God. And it really upset Paul. And let me just say, this isn't something that's just unique in our time, or in Paul's time, but this is something that we see today in our time. I don't know if you've ever been a part of a church or... Um, you were a part of a church where they told you like, hey, you have to earn your salvation. You have to do enough good things to make sure you get your way into heaven. You have to do these right things or you have to do these good acts if you ever want to be right before Jesus. Or maybe you never were a part of that church before and you're just here and you're checking out what Jesus is all about and you're not quite sure if you're ready to go all in for Jesus. And you're like, well, but you know, I think that Jesus isn't enough, that I can earn my way in, that if I do enough random acts of kindness, if I do these good things, then I'll earn my way into heaven. And if that's you today, you are believing the wrong gospel. That's not how salvation works at all. And so today, what I want us to do is what Paul does here in Galatians chapter 3. I want us to take time to explain what the true gospel is, what Jesus came to live and die and rise again, and what Jesus ultimately came to give us. So, Let's look, Galatians chapter 3, we're going to be in verse 1. Like I said, he starts off strong. He says this, O foolish Galatians, another translation reads this, or says this verse is, O you idiots. So Paul doesn't care how, he, he's not afraid of people's feelings, he's just telling them like it is. He says, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Christ Jesus was publicly portrayed as crucified. Paul's like, man, when I was there with you guys, I preached the true gospel. I told you what Jesus was all about. I preached it so clear that it was like a painting on a wall. You weren't there and you didn't see it, but you saw the gospel because I preached it so clear and so evident to you. You have no reason to not understand the gospel. He's like, I talked about Jesus. I talked about faith. I talked about grace. I talked about his love towards you. And so Paul is mad and he's coming out strong with the Galatians and how they've strayed from this true gospel. But I want you to notice a word in verse 1, and it's that word bewitched. A better translation for that word means to put an evil eye on you. Now, I don't know if your parents ever gave you an evil eye. My sister and I would often joke about our parents giving us the evil eye if we ever did something wrong, you know? And it didn't matter what was happening. My parents could be over here doing something, or, you know, they're over here having this conversation. If we're acting up once, it just took one look, and you knew you better shave up. Husbands, you know what I'm talking about. You get a little out of line. You say things you shouldn't say. You get the evil eye, all right? So, but if you didn't get the evil eye, I brought a couple pictures of what an evil eye might look like. Like this one of The Rock. I think he's got a pretty good evil eye right there. Like, ugh. Sometimes that's what it felt like as a kid when my dad would look at me. I'd be like, okay, I'll stop right now. Or, you know, it doesn't have to be an eyebrow raise. It could be like Justin Timberlake over here. It's just a look of disgust. You're kind of like, come on now, get your act together. What you doing over there? But, you know, it's not something humans just have. Uh, animals also have evil eyes. I brought a picture of a cat giving the evil eye, and some of you guys are like, oh, that's cute. Oh, how is that an evil eye? No, cats are evil, and they have eyes, so thus they're always giving you the evil eye, all right? <laughs> I like dogs. I don't like cats at all. So, um, and neither does the Bible. So, um, 
clearly. That's why it says bewitched. So, uh, <laughs> but I don't know how many of you have ever been to a church before where people just kind of cast this evil eye on you. Like they've got their opinion and their judgment on how you are supposed to act and behave as a Christian. They think they kind of turn their nose up at you because they're like, no, your self-effort isn't matching up to my self-effort. You need to do these works. And so they kind of turn their nose up at you. You've probably been to a church before where you have somebody who goes, oh, bless their hearts. Jesus saved their souls. I cannot believe they came to church wearing that today. Can you believe it? Or they might be like, oh, bless their heart. Jesus saved them. Oh, man, my Jesus, I need them to be saved. Did you see how they were worshiping today? I can't believe that. They're looking at you. They've got this evil eye on you. They're turning your nose. They're turning their nose up at you. And this is the same thing Paul is writing the Galatians about. He's like, who are you letting look at you like this? Who are you letting in your midst? Letting them influence the way that you're thinking with their wrong thinking. Why are you letting them influence the way that you relate with Jesus? Why are you letting them in your midst, giving you this evil eye? And so in verse 2, he goes on. And he says, let me ask you only this. Now, it's funny because this isn't the only question Paul asks. In the next five verses, he asks six questions. And so he's kind of going at him a little bit here. And it's almost like he's being a little sarcastic, maybe a little sassy. And he's like, hey, Galatians, you know, I taught you, but now that you've reached a whole new level of enlightenment, since you know more than me, hey, why don't you come and teach me something over here? Let me ask you some questions, Galatia. And he says this, did you receive the spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? He's like, did your life start to change because you obeyed a bunch of laws and rules in the Old Testament? He's like, of course not. Your life changed because of your belief in Jesus. You didn't see transformation in your life because you decided, of, you decided to start living this perfect life or because of your moral code or because of all these rules and laws. You saw transformation in your life because you believed in the true gospel of Jesus. So Paul continues his questioning in verse 3. He says, Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Paul's like, your Christian life began when you heard the good news of Jesus. So why are you trying to add works, try to do things on your own to earn your salvation? Why are you buying into this fake gospel that tells you that Jesus isn't enough? So Paul starts to explain what the true gospel here here is in Galatians chapter 3. And I think it's healthy for us to stop and to pause and to talk about what the true gospel is. Because what I found out is that you can go to church for years and not really understand what the gospel is at all. I was raised in the church and didn't understand what the gospel was for years. Because we can sing songs, we can lead ministries, we can lead Bible studies, and we can totally misunderstand what the gospel is. So what is the gospel? Well, we as humans, we have this terrible problem and it's called sin. And it all started back in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve chose to eat of the wrong tree. They ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and so sin entered the world. And so when you look around the world and you see all the things that concern you, when you turn on social media and the news and you see all the problems we're facing and all the tragedies that we have, when you, look at the, when you look in the mirror and you see all the things in you that bother you, like your struggles, your temptations, your issues, and then when you look around and you see all the things in other people that offend you and bother you, it all goes back to this one problem. All these problems within our world and in our world all go back to this problem called sin. 
And the Bible makes it clear that it's a problem that's common to all of us, that we all struggle with this. It's not something that I just struggle with and you don't, or that 50% of this room struggles with it and the other 50 don't, or that the South Venue's more holy because they're watching on a screen because they don't need to see the pastor live, and so they're holier and we struggle with sin. That's not what it's all about. It's not like, oh, I'm a pastor, and so I don't struggle with sin. You guys do. No, that's not what it is at all. We all have this problem because it doesn't take a whole bunch of sins to make you a sinner. It takes one sin to make you a sinner. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. See, we chose sin. We're not victims of sin. We all voted and we're like, yeah, sin sounds good. I think I'm going to do that. We chose sin. And because of our sin, we cannot be in the presence of God like we were meant to be. God cannot stand to be in the presence of sin. So it's not like God's up in heaven with some bad attitude, trying to judge everyone. It's just that in his nature, God is so holy, he is so pure, that if he comes in contact with sin, the output is wrath. If you like math, there's an equation for this, and it's God plus sin equals wrath. So God and sin cannot be in the same room, and that's a huge problem for us, because we were created to be in relationship with God. God didn't create humans so he'd be his little robots doing whatever he wanted us to do. God has all the servants he needs and angels to do his bidding. What he created us for were to be in relationship with him, to be close with him, to relate with him, and to be loved by him. That's what he wanted when he created you and when he created me. He wanted a relationship. And I think that's why he gave himself the title Father, because there's a closeness to that. He wants an intimate relationship with you. So to get close to God, we have to get rid of the sin in our lives. So how do we close the gap between us and God? Well, we have to get rid of the sin. How do we do that? Well, we're told that there has to be the shedding of blood. To deal with our sins, we need to shed our blood. Hebrews 9 says that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. And so this is kind of a catch-22 for us because to pay for even one of our sins, we have to shed our blood. And, if we, and that's a huge problem because if we're trying to get close to God and we shed our blood, then we die. And if we die, we don't get close to God. And so God's like, well, I'll make a way. I have a plan and an answer for that. And he says, I'm going to come to earth in the form of a man. And his name is Jesus, and he will live a perfect life. And he will die on the cross for your sin, taking your place. See, we should have had to die for our our own sin. After all, it's our sin. But no, Jesus came and he lived a perfect life and he died on the cross for our sin in our place as our substitute. And then he rose again on the third day because he's not just man, he's God. So when it comes to the gospel, you have to understand that it all goes back to the fact that Jesus lived perfect, died sacrificially perfect, and he rose again because he is perfect. And because of all of that, Jesus paid your bill. Jesus paid for your sins. And this should get us a little excited today. If you've ever tasted and you've ever experienced the good news of Jesus, the gospel, you've ever received his grace and you have this gift of eternal life because Jesus paid for your sins when it should have been you that died. And this is the best news you'll hear your whole life, that Jesus paid your bill when it should have been you. Now, I don't know if you've ever had somebody pay for your bill before, been to a restaurant and you're eating and somebody pays for your ticket. Years ago, uh, Jen and I, we only had, we have three boys, but at the time we only had one, Brody, and he was pretty young and 
we were in Atlanta and we had to drive back to Clarksville. We had to get back to Clarksville for church to set up and all of that. And so we left really early because when you have a little kid, you don't want to make so many stops. And so uh, we were trying to minimize that. And so we left early. We skipped breakfast. We had snacks ready to go in case he got hungry on the way. And so we're driving. But what we quickly found out was the fact that Brody... Once you wake him up, he doesn't go back to sleep again. And so that plan didn't work, and the snacks weren't sufficing him. They definitely were not working for me either. I was like, we need food. And so what I found out was between Atlanta and Clarksville, there's like a 1,000 Cracker Barrels. And so we were like, well, which exit do you want to stop off at? We'll just hit one. And so we get to a Cracker Barrel, and you know, we're just eating breakfast. We're having a good time as a family. It's actually kind of nice because Brody isn't uh, throwing a fit. He's not having a tantrum. You know, he's actually eating his food, not wearing it or throwing it. So it's actually kind of a good morning. And this lady comes up to us and she goes, you know what? I've been watching your family for a while now. And I was like, that's creepy. Like, I mean, (laughs) don't lead with that. That's a little scary that you'd say that. But she's like, I've been watching your family for a while now. And it just really blesses me to see you guys interacting with one another. You don't have cell phones out. You're, You're talking to each other. And this little guy, he's a good eater. So I'm going to pay for your, feel, for your food today. And my, I had two thoughts. The first one was, praise Jesus, hallelujah, can I add some more? Because I went a little cheap, I've got a long drive, I need to place it to go order. Like I was like kind of wanting to add a little bit more to it. But then I had the second thought, and it was, well, wait, no, you don't have to pay for our ticket. We ordered this food. We ate this food. We consumed it. You had nothing to do with this. We chose to eat what we're eating. No, you don't have to pay for our ticket. It just doesn't feel right. But let me tell you, that's how it is when you think about this idea of this free gift that Jesus came to bring us. There's a part of you that's like, yes, praise Jesus, hallelujah, my sins have been forgiven. He shed his blood so that I could have eternal life. I'm so thankful for that. I'm so grateful for that. We sing songs and we get excited when we hear the good news of Jesus. But then there's a part of us that goes, well, wait a minute. Jesus didn't sin. I sinned. I did those acts. I committed those sins. I said those things. I looked at those images. I was a liar. I was a thief. I was the one who's jealous. I'm the one who's greedy. I'm the one who does all of these things that aren't right. I chose sin. Jesus didn't do any of that. And yet Jesus comes in, he steps in your place, and he died for my sin. He took all of our sin, all of our shame, all of our guilt, and he gives us this gift of grace and eternal life that we didn't deserve. Jesus paid our bill. You can think of it this way. Hell isn't a place that God sends people that he's mad at. Hell is the place where people can pay their own bill. But listen, you don't have to pay your own bill because Jesus already paid the bill for you. Jesus already took all of the payment that was due you and put it on himself on the cross. And he died and he rose again so that you could have eternal life. And all you have to do is say, Jesus, I believe you came to this earth. You lived, you died, and you rose again. And one day you're coming back for me. And I know that I need a savior. And so I confess these sins to you. I give them to you. Give me eternal life. Say, God, just as you resurrected Jesus, will you resurrect me with eternal life? This is the true gospel. And if you've never received Jesus into your life, in a few moments, I want to give you that opportunity to allow Jesus to pay your bill so that you don't have to. I want you to experience his free gift of grace and love and forgiveness if you've never experienced it or tasted it before. And maybe you once did. 
You and Jesus were BFFs. You walked with him, but for one reason or another, you've walked away. And you feel like Jesus isn't enough, and I got to earn my way back to Jesus. I got to earn my salvation. I got to do these right things. And in a few moments, I want to give you an opportunity to come back home to Jesus and experience his grace again and be reminded that you can never do it, that it's all Jesus. So back to our text here. You can see why Paul is so mad with the Galatian church. It's ridiculous to understand the true gospel, to have it preached to you crystal clear, and then later to reject it and say, that was good, but I'm going to buy into this fake one. It's ridiculous to have the knowledge that Jesus already paid your bill to then try to go back to the restaurant and pay for your bill again. They're like, no, why would you do that? That ticket's been paid for. You're good to go, go. But there's a part of you that's like, no, no, I'm not going to do this. I'm a self-made man. I can do this myself. I'll pay my own way through life. I'll pull myself up from my bootstraps. I will pay for my way into heaven. And it's ridiculous for us to rely on what we can do to try to honor and please God and try to earn our favor with God. Why do we think that Jesus isn't enough? That we need to help in our salvation? And I just wonder sometimes how this makes God feel. That he already gave us the greatest sacrifice possible when he gave us his son Jesus, only to watch his people turn around and try to pay their own bill again. And this is bothering Paul and it should bother us when we see it today. So how does Paul deal with this? Well, verse 10. He says, For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. What this verse is saying is that God's not up in heaven trying to curse people if they don't follow the law. It's that that the people are cursing themselves because they haven't received the blessing that comes through Jesus. So if we're trying to obey a bunch of laws and rules to be right with God, then we're living under this curse. And that's exactly what's happening to this Galatian church. They had the gospel preached to them. They believed in it. But now they feel like they got to follow these Jewish laws to be right with God, to earn their salvation. And what Paul is like, he's like, hey, guys, you're under a curse. God's like, hey, why would you even try to obey all of these laws? It's impossible to do it. Because if you break one law, then we're going to be separated because it's like you've broken all of these laws. So we can't be in relationship like we were meant to be. In fact, I like how James 2.10 says it this way. He says, for the person who keeps all of the laws except one is as guilty as, broke, as one who's broken all of God's laws. So if we think we could be right with God by keeping a bunch of rules and regulations and laws and all of that, if we think that's how we can be right with God, then we're under a curse. And so Paul brings up the law. And I think it's healthy for us to talk about the law. You know, as Christians, we need to be reminded of the purpose of the law because if we get a little off track, it's a good course correction for us. And if you've never accepted Jesus, you're checking out church for the very first time, this is good for you too, because it'll show you how much you need Jesus as well. So two things you need to know about the law. The first one is this, the law couldn't be obeyed. It was never possible. In fact, the Old Testament narrative is of the children of Israel trying and failing, and then trying again and failing, and trying again and failing to live out this law perfectly. Because you need to know this, obedience to a certain lifestyle could not fix the problem of sin that is resident in humanity. And sometimes we let this kind of try to live out the law thing invade our modern day life. We think, well, you know what, if I read enough Bible, 
as long as I read at least two hours, the Lord will be pleased with me. Or if I pray enough prayers or pray the right prayers, or as long as I go to church on Christmas and Easter, that's when God's really taking attendance, right? So I'm good then, like that's, that's the most important part. Or if I serve or if I give or if I'm in a group or if I do all of these good things, then, then that's what matters. Listen, none of those acts of obedience are bad acts. We would actually recommend that you do them. When you give your life to Jesus, you should want to read your Bible because that's how the Lord talks to you. You should want to pray because that's how you communicate. When you have a relationship with someone, you pray, you talk to them. You should come to church more often. You should be a part of a group. You should serve. You should give. You should do all of those good acts, but ultimately none of them deal with this sin problem. None of them fix the problem that's in the inside that causes you to be a sinner. The law could never change our sin nature, and this can be challenging for us. Because we like to believe that if we, we can make up for all the bad things in our life if we do enough good things. We think, well, I've done these bad things over here so I can swing over here and do these good things. If I committed these sins, well, then I can do these negative things. Well, then I can do these positive things and make up for it later. And we think, well, you know what? Overall, I'm kind of a good person. You know, I may have started out a little rough, chosen, made some bad decisions, did some bad things. But you know what? I'm really making a turn from, for the better. You know, I'm really starting to become a better person. I, I've really started been making up for it. I'm doing these acts. I'm good acts. I'm doing these good things. And I'm giving out this much money. And at the end of my life, if I feel like I'm 51% good and 49% bad, well, I think that's just going to be enough that God's going to let me into heaven because I will be just good enough. Listen, no matter how much you try to obey the law or rules or you do good things, 1% sin disqualifies you from the perfect place of heaven. No amount of obedience, no amount of righteous acts, nothing you could ever do is going to make you good enough to earn your way into heaven. The law could never be obeyed. Following rules can never cure you. Doing enough good things cannot fix you. And so then you might be thinking, well, why then the law? Why did God give us the law? If it was never possible to be obeyed, if it was never going to work, what was the purpose of the law? Well, I'm glad you asked that because Paul answers the question in verse 19. He says this, why then the law? It was added because of transgressions until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made and it was put in place through angels by an intermediary. And so if you're like me after reading this, you're like, what? <laughs> like, what was that? Just something about an intermediary and there were angels in it? Like, I don't know that I understand that. I might have to read it a little slower, maybe in a different couple of different translations. Like, that's kind of a confusing verse. Well, I've done a little research on it. I've done some studying on this. And what Paul is getting at is that the point of the law didn't come to tell us about salvation, but about our sin. And to prove to us that we cannot be the solution. We cannot save ourselves. The law's purpose was to show us our sins. It was never meant to save us. And God wanted to create this clear frustration in everybody's mind that you weren't ever going to be good enough, that you weren't going to be able to do it yourself. You're not going to be perfect law keepers. You're going to be perfect law breakers. Everything about the law was shouting, look to a savior, look to the Messiah, look to Jesus. He's your only hope. Jesus can do what you cannot do. You cannot do this on your own. And so the first thing we know about the law is that it can never be obeyed. And the second thing is that the law leads us to Christ. Look at verse 24. It says, 
So then the law was our guardian until Christ Jesus came in order that we might be justified by faith. Notice that it doesn't say that we're justified by obedience or our righteous acts or random acts of kindness or if we do enough good things in our life. It says that we're justified uh, with God through faith. Verse 25 says, But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. And this is beautiful because you and I, we don't have to continue to try to live perfect or do all the right things. That's not the way that you get right with God. The way that you're made right with God is through faith. The law points to the real solution and the real answer, and his name is Jesus. And this message is for anybody here today, and you've tried to read enough You've tried to serve enough. You've tried to pray enough. You've tried to give enough, do all enough random acts of kindness. You've tried to do all of these things in your life, and you've tried to make up for all of the bad by doing all of kinds of good. You're trying to be 51% bad, 49% or 51% bad or good, 49% bad. And you're trying to make God happy by doing enough good stuff, and you're aiming at all of these things. And you realize that every time you did them, you're just the same person. You realize that I'm never going to be good enough. I'm never going to be holy enough. I'm never going to be free of sin enough. And you just hit this place where you're like, it's not working. And if that's you today, let Paul's words here be words of love, telling you that you're going the wrong way. You're approaching your salvation through your own human effort, and you've believed a false gospel. All God ever wanted for you was for you to come to the person of Jesus, come to him for life, and come to him for relationship. And when you engage in that true gospel, when you receive what Jesus did, when you go not to the rules, but to the person of Jesus, a miracle happens. A transformational miracle happens that only comes through the true gospel. I love the way 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, it says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. That's the miracle. Something was born on the inside that wasn't there before. And what this verse is getting at is that the moment you put your faith in Jesus, the old labels are gone. The old identity is gone. You may feel like you might be marked by this one particular sin. You feel like you're characterized by this foolishness, that you're never going to be anything else but this sin. And what this verse is getting at is that all of that's dead. You have a new label as God's child, as either God's son or God's daughter. That is your identity. And when that happens, God pours out his grace, his love, his mercy, his forgiveness out on you. Jesus doesn't come into your life to get you to do the right things. Jesus comes into your life to make you right. See, what separates Christianity from all other religions is that Christianity isn't learned behavior or if you do all the right things or if you uh, do enough good in your life, enough random acts of kindness, if it's not about behavior modification through discipline, it's not if you check all the right boxes, it's about experiencing Jesus. It's about giving him all of your guilt, all of your shame, all of your sin, and experiencing God's free gift of grace through faith. And I'm so desperate for you to experience Jesus the way that I've experienced him. And so many in this room have experienced him. Maybe you're here today and Paul's writing this letter to you. 
Maybe you've given your life to Jesus and you walked with God for a while. You and Jesus were BFFs. You were like, nothing's going to come between us. We're good to go. And for one reason or another, you've taken a detour. You've allowed other things and influences to come into your life and pull you away from Jesus. And you're here today and you're thinking, well, I got to earn my way back to Jesus. I got to do enough good things to show Jesus that I'm worthy to be accepted as his child. I got to do these good things over here to make up for this bad thing over here. You're thinking that you can earn. You're adding more to salvation. You're adding more to the gospel. You believe that Jesus isn't enough. And I think what God is telling you through Paul in his word is to stop it. It's to stop trying to earn favor with God. Stop trying to add to what he's already done. Or maybe you've never accepted God's free gift of salvation. And you feel like, well, you know what? I'm checking out church, checking out what Jesus is about, but you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not too sure about this. I got to get some things cleaned up first, you know? I got to get a few things sorted out because, uh, you know, if, if I came to God the way that I am, he'd probably look at me and go, give me about six more months, you know, like you got some time to work some things out. And so you're like, I can't come to Jesus the way that I am. And God would be telling you as well to stop it. Wherever you find yourself in, whether you've walked away from the Lord or you've never experienced God, God would tell you that all you need to do is, that you are, is to receive him. You are not beyond the grace of God. God will love you. God will forgive you. God will wash away all of your sins and he will give you a new identity as his son or as his daughter. And all you need to do is to cry out to him. Thanks for joining us for this message from Awaken Church. We'd love to hear how this message or the ministry of Awaken has impacted your life. Let us know at awaken.church forward slash my story.